welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. Today we're going to spend some time with a not little known, but maybe little appreciated tool, stitch markers. For sure. Stitch markers are kind of an essential part of your knitting practice, and I think they're easy to forget. But they make your life so much easier when you have a good grasp on how to use them. Recently, I've noticed at the shop that a lot of people have questions about stitch markers, and I've been spending some time thinking about this. And I think this might be the case because in the last two years, a lot of people have started knitting or come back to knitting after a long hiatus. And I think that if you've been like building your foundation skills and working on kind of simple projects, you may not have encountered a need for stitch markers yet in your work. Or whoever taught you how to knit maybe didn't cover this information with you specifically, so you're aware that they exist, but you maybe haven't had a proper introduction to them and all of the ways that they can be useful to you as a knitter working through projects. If you already know what they're for, they almost feel like they don't rate mentioning. Mm -hmm. And they very much do. They're not intuitive. I always think about that woman who came in who we'd helped her pick her yarn. She was going to go work on a project and she was like, I have to ask you something. What am I supposed to do with these? They keep getting stuck on my knitting. And she was using them in kind of the only way that is intuitive to use a string and a ring which she was threading the ring onto the stitch and then knitting it into her knitting. And she was like, it cannot be that I'm supposed to go back with metal cutters and cut these out. Like, that can't be what I'm supposed to do. They had kind of turned into sequin-like decorative components to her knitting, which was not really the look she was going for. I think with enough dedication, you could fully make like chain mail. You would need a lot of stitch markers. (laughs) It could be a thing. I recently saw a shawl pattern that called for something wild, like 3,000 beads. So yeah, you could probably wrangle that many (laughs) stitch markers and adorn your shawl or your sweater with them and be kind of jingly. Okay, so going all the way to the very beginning, what is a stitch marker? What are we talking about? So a stitch marker is a tool that you use to indicate important parts of your knitting. So maybe the beginning of round or a place where something different is going to happen. You're going to get those instructions specifically from the designer over the course of the pattern, but having it on a piece of paper doesn't give you that information in the fabric that you're creating. By using these little tools, by using these stitch markers, you are kind of making notes on your knitting for yourself. It's your visual reference for when you are supposed to do something else or think about what's happening next, like it's telling you something when you encounter a stitch marker in your knitting. You might have situations where you're coming across them in the pattern, like the beginning of round or side seams on a sweater, something like that. But you could also use them on your own. You could decide you want a note there. And then you just have to remember, this is what I put here, not one the designer told me to put here. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, there are lots of different sizes and shapes and aesthetics of stitch markers. So you could make a choice about the stitch markers that are the pattern designer's stitch markers. (laughs) So where they're (laughs) telling you to put things here. And then maybe have a separate aesthetic of stitch marker that is, these are my notes for me. 
and you could write those notes on the pattern so you remember what they mean. But maybe I like to put in a stitch marker every 50 stitches on a very long stretch of knitting. And I know that those are mine because I just use green markers for my own personal notes added to a pattern. Oh, that's really interesting. But I think we use primarily the same kind of stitch markers, which are the little rainbow-colored metal rings from Coconuts. Mm -hmm. And I definitely have particular colors that are always specific things. Like the beginning of round, if I can find it, is always red. And if it isn't red, it's orange. But it's an alert color. (laughs) (laughs) Danger, danger, it's the end of the row. (laughs) And then usually if I have like an opposite stitch marker that I've had to put in, like the designer wants you to put one on the other side or something, that one's usually yellow. And then the ones I put in myself are the cool colors. Oh, excellent. Everyone's got a system. I don't have a solid system like that, I'm, <laughs> but I'm also more chaotic when it comes to my internal organization type. Often what I do is I clip things together to tell me different things. Because instead of the rings, and we'll talk about these types in just a minute, I like the opening stitch markers. So my beginning of round, I often clip one or two other stitch markers to my beginning of round. So I have like a long dangly one there. There are lots of different types of knitters, but that's big chaos energy and is giving me some anxiety. (laughs) Am I chaotic good or chaotic evil on the chaos knitter chart? It depends on what kind of yarn you're knitting with, I think. Okay, we're going to talk about all of this. (laughs) Let's talk about some of the different kinds of stitch markers that you could encounter or use. And combine and use like a Roblox set or what are those things (laughs) called? Tinker toys, things that you clip together. So let's get our bearings here. There are two basic categories of stitch markers. In the stitch marker family, you can have ring markers or locking stitch markers. Ring markers are closed shapes, usually a circle, often shaped like a ring. Does not have to be, though. (laughs) Some of them are triangles. We say usually a circle. Mm -hmm. All shapes are fair game. That's right. You could have a little teardrop. You could have a hexagon and pretend they're little honeycombs. A square. A rectangle. I've seen some that are shaped like cats. Ooh, the little cat faces with little pointy ears on them. And so really it's the round part of the face that is the stitch marker and the pointy ears are kind of just there along for the ride. For cuteness. And for cuteness and for danger because they're pointy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, danger cats. So these closed shapes are little rings that you are going to slip onto your needle. And it sits on your needle in between stitches. At no point does this marker ever get knit into. Right. It's hanging out. So when you are knitting and you get through all of your cute little beautiful stitches and you get to that stitch marker, you don't knit it. You just slip it from one needle to the next. These stitch markers, no matter what family they are, are just hanging out if they're closed. There's no way to get them onto a stitch. They might have bits and bobs on them. You might find one that has like a dangly charm, but it's still just a ring for lack of a more specific shape that's sliding back and forth on your needle. As you're working along, whatever you're doing, when you get to it in your knitting, it's on your, I'm going to say passive needle. You are going to just move that from your passive needle to your active needle. Its job is to hang out in between the stitch that comes before it and the stitch that comes after it. That's it. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, the other type of stitch markers 
can do more things. Yes. Those are called locking stitch markers. They also have other names. Sometimes they're called gourd pins, but they look like little squished safety pins without the coily part. They're kind of shorter and rounder than a safety pin. But there's one pointy part that is like mounted inside of the cap and the other leg that opens up. Now, generally, you would use these just like the closed stitch markers. But the fact that they open gives you other options. For one thing, this is the only kind of stitch marker that works for crocheters. Yes. Because when you're crocheting, there's really only one active stitch at a time, so you have to clip that stitch marker to the yarn, which means you need to be able to get it back off again. You can do that with your knitting as well, in that you can clip it to an individual stitch in your knitting, or a group of stitches in your knitting, if you need information about them specifically. You are like making yourself a little stitch marker post-it note on your knitting with this marker, and you can take it off later, which is super handy. You can also clip a whole bunch of them together like a paperclip chain and give Karen anxiety and (laughs) know that you are knitting like my soulmate. (laughs) So here's why this is chaos. I struggle with gourd pins because they snag for me. I don't know what part of my technique it is, but I catch on the part that opens, like the yarn catches, and I find it really annoying. And so I prefer not to use them as stitch markers. But then I want them to clip into stitches, like progress keepers, Uh which is kind of like a related subset of knitting notions. They're usually little like lobster claw clips that aren't big enough to function as stitch markers, but they hang out. I want them for that. And so then I just have to get them from Jessica because she has them. Because they make me feel free. (laughs) I feel so confined by ring markers. I feel like they don't give me enough options. I struggle when I have to use them. So see lots of different knitting personality types. There must be something that I do. It is user error, but it is user error that I make consistently. So So at this point, I have accepted my struggle and I go with the solid rings. That's nice because there's tools for both of us. (laughs) (laughs) And I steal yours and you don't steal mine, which is fine. It works out. (laughs) All right, so what might you use stitch markers for? So many things. So many things. Let's start with designers, because most often you're being told how to use your stitch markers. So when you're knitting a pattern that has a need for stitch markers, the person who wrote that pattern is going to tell you when they want you to use them. They're giving you specific sets of information because they want you to succeed. They want you to finish this project and have it turn out the way they intended it to. So usually in a pattern, there will be something called a setup row when you need to place a number of stitch markers. And in that setup row, you will find certain abbreviations that are usually, but not always, noted in the pattern glossary or key. One of them will be PM. Sometimes the pattern will spell that out and say PM stands for place marker. It doesn't always say that there. That's an assumed set of information. So in your setup row, you might see the instruction to knit 27 stitches, comma, PM, comma, knit 42 stitches. So if you haven't encountered that abbreviation before, that's what that means. It's telling you to place a marker. Put that marker on your needle after X number of stitches. Likewise, you might also see the abbreviation SM in your pattern. And that's your designer telling you that you knit X number of stitches 
then you will slip the marker that you should be encountering at this point from one needle to the next. You're not going to like run your yarn through it or knit it into a stitch. You're just going to slide it from one needle onto the other one and go about your knitting business. If you're working in the round, you'll probably have one marker that's designated B-O-R or beginning of round. And that's just the one telling you it's just a new row. When you're casting on, you could make the choice to place markers to help you count your stitches. That was like a knitting hack for me when somebody suggested that to me. And like stitch marker makers actually make numbered stitch markers that will have like 50, 100, 150, 200, whatever on there. So you can just put them on. If you don't have those handy, you could also just put one on every 50 stitches. I think a lot of people have a number that they count to fairly naturally and then they start to lose track. Mm -hmm. For me, it's actually 40, which is really annoying, but I can usually get to 40 (laughs) and then count to 10 and then put one on. Brains are so amazing. (laughs) I love how different we all are. I like to do it in chunks of 25. Oh, interesting. Just like counting quarters or something. It just feels quick and efficient. A designer might also have you use them for reminders of changes in the pattern. If you're transitioning from one type of fabric to another, say there's a big section of stockinette in your pattern and then you need to transition to garter, at some point you're going to be able to read your stitches easily in your knitting career, in your knitting evolution. But until you can, or maybe just because you like having the markers in place, it's nice to plop a marker in between that section of stockinette and the section of garter. I find that I really like doing that, even though I can confidently look at my fabric and tell aesthetically where the change is in pattern types, because a lot of times I don't look at my knitting as I'm knitting. I might be chatting with friends or watching a movie, or I remember in the olden days and before times, if I knit in a movie theater in the dark, all I had was my hands feeling my fabric to go by to let me know what was happening. So if my fingers hit a stitch marker on my needle, I know that I'm transitioning from just knitting to maybe it's a purl row now or something. Other places in your pattern where you should put a stitch marker, and probably the designer will tell you, is something like a raglan line in a sweater. So as you're working on your yoke and you need to be making increases or decreases depending on what direction you're knitting that sweater, hitting that marker will let you know that your stitches are going to stay in line because the stitch number change is happening on either side of that marker. Every pattern and every designer will do this a little bit differently, but they will have their own way to designate raglan marker. It might be RM, who knows. But the thing that really drives me personally kind of batty when designers do it, and this is a me problem, is when they get too specific. They will say things like the left back increase marker. And I'm like, I'm spinning this thing in a circle thousands of times. (laughs) I don't know which one's the back and which one is the left until I'm much further into this. Please don't do that to me. Like, give me a different designation. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just make a little key for myself then where I'll be like, that's the blue one or whatever. Oh, yeah. That's a great way to use all of the different colors and styles of stitch markers. It is really nice when stitch markers come with multiple options. Another thing kind of related to increases and decreases is using stitch markers in sleeves. Sometimes I will knit my sleeves two at a time, but not always. And when I don't, I face the issue of symmetry. Mm -hmm. 
Am I taking accurate notes because I'm a right on my pattern kind of person so that I know that I'm actually increasing or decreasing precisely where I'm being told to in the pattern? I'm often not. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you right now, I'm often not. So the thing that I do for myself, and it was like a revelation when I learned this from another knitter, was that an easy way to identify where those increases or decreases happen in a sleeve is by marking them with a locking stitch marker. So instead of looking at your entirely knit sleeve and kind of examining that section of stitch number change every couple of rows to make sure your new sleeve is matching it, if there's a locking stitch marker dangling out of those stitch changes, it's really easy to count the number of rows and not have to also identify where that's happening. It's easy to see it. And then you just take them out after you've knit your sleeves, unless you like little dangly fringes on your arms. <laughs> I actually move mine from my first sleeve to my second sleeve as I get to them, just so I feel like I'm making progress. It helps reassure me that I haven't skipped one on the second sleeve. That's super smart. Something that locking stitch markers can do that the closed ring ones definitely cannot is save you in an emergency where you have found a dropped stitch. Mm-hmm. That's a kind of like panic-inducing moment where you're like, oh no, I'm an inch and a half away from where that stitch is now hanging out, and I don't want it to keep falling, but I'm also 236 stitches away around my needle until I get back to that point where I can pull it up. What do I do? I grab a locking stitch marker, and I just clip it through that dangling stitch, and now it can't fall down any further than it already has. And then it's just kind of waiting for you. The problem hasn't gotten any worse by the time you get to it. Safety net. So kind of similarly, if at some point in your knitting you need to put a small number of stitches on hold to be picked up later, you could, instead of getting scrap yarn or something like that, just zoop through it with a locking stitch marker. I do that on my armpits, on my sweaters. Oh, Like, I will take my locking stitch markers and I will just pin them in clusters of, like, two or three, depending on how many stitches I need to put on hold, and keep going. That works. Mm -hmm. Another really handy way to use your locking stitch markers specifically is to count rows. So if you're knitting with a chart, whether that's color work or a lace chart or something with cables, and you have repeats that you need to be doing, those locking stitch markers are a really handy way to demarcate when a repeat has happened. You just clip it through a stitch, and at some point you're like, well, I have finished my eight repeats of this cable section or this lace section in the body of my sweater. You don't actually have to go back and count and try and figure out where a repeat ends. You can just really clearly see it because you've got little cutie pins in your project. One thing we didn't mention that was a potential use for stitch markers is in repeating panels. Mm. You're talking about using locking stitch markers for things that are happening in different rows. Mm -hmm. You could also do something similar with things that are repeating in a single row so that you're having sort of columns of a lace panel or something like that. If you have 150 stitches and it's a pattern that repeats every 15 stitches and you're worried about messing it up, You could use the stitch marker at the start of every repeat so that if when you get to the end you realize you're off, you know it happened within the last 15 stitches, which is kind of nice. That's a super handy way to do it. 
I think that that's also in line with the helping you reduce mistakes. Yes. I've definitely done that and gone, womp, womp. I (laughs) messed it up in the first repeat of this pattern, and now I have to pick everything back to get to it. But at least I know where it is then. The things your markers can tell you. (laughs) Okay, so you want to go get yourself some stitch markers. Mm -hmm. And there are 8,000 options. Yes, there are. Like, (laughs) there just are. Yeah, and kind of anything that works for you will work for you. Yeah, there's no right or wrong answer with stitch markers. It's all about what you like. You're going to see them in a bunch of different materials. There's, you know, plastic, metal, acrylic, glass, wood, that kind of thing. You'll see them in a bunch of different sizes also. Mm -hmm. With a couple of caveats, that doesn't really matter. There are stitch markers that are made in like small, medium, large size. And what those tend to have are maximum needle sizes that they'll work with. Maybe small goes up to size US 4 and medium goes up to size US 8 and large goes up to size US 13 or something. If you're knitting on a size 1 needle and you grab a stitch marker that is a large that goes up to size 13, you might be annoyed by how big it is. Like it might just be kind of too floppy. It'll be like a hula hoop for your knitting needle. (laughs) (laughs) And then obviously there is like a logistical problem with having one that's too small. If you have one that only fits on the size 4 needle, you're not going to have a lot of luck with your size 11 needle. But other than that, the only thing that really is going to make a difference is there are these sort of ubiquitous plastic locking stitch markers that kind of look like little plastic padlocks. The part that actually goes around the needle is kind of thick which isn't going to matter if you're knitting most things. But if you're knitting something with like lace weight yarn on tiny little needles, that's actually going to push your stitches apart. And so your gauge is going to be off where that stitch marker is. That would be the only consideration where you'd be like, that is a bad choice. In a pinch, you can get scrappy and DIY and kind of use anything. I think that for the first three or four years that I was knitting, I just made my own stitch markers. It didn't even occur to me that it was a thing you could buy. I just knew that this pattern was telling me to use a marker, and I was like, I guess I'm just going to make one. So I would tie little loops out of yarn and put those on my needle and treat them like a plastic or a metal stitch marker and just slip them and keep going. Sometimes you have stitch markers and you love them, and you just don't have them with you, so you need to grab something else. So things that I have used are hair elastics, which are big and annoying but do the job. Paper clips. You can use safety pins. Those are also big and annoying, but will work. I've also used a twisty tie thing, like you would put on a bag of bread to keep it sealed up. You just coil that into a little loop, and that works too. One of the things I've seen people do that is, I think, a more traditional solution is using scrap yarn. Mm -hmm. Rather than tying it in a loop, what they'll do is they'll make almost like a running stitch with their scrap yarn. So as you're knitting, Let's say you start with one end of the yarn to the back and you get to where it would go and you bring it to the front and you keep going. And then when you get to it again, you fold it over and let it hang to the back and keep going. And so it's just kind of going in almost like a running stitch up your fabric as you go. And then obviously you'll have to pull it out. Don't do that with lopey and lopey, like two lopies. (laughs) (laughs) They're just like pair bonded in your knitting. It's never coming out. But would absolutely work. Mm -hmm. That's a trick I was not familiar with. That's pretty cool. These are some like foundational ways that you can use stitch markers. But 
it is not the end-all be-all of options. You can come up with all sorts of interesting ways to use your stitch markers. You are only limited by your imagination and your creative problem-solving brain. So if there are things that will be more helpful to you and ways that you can imagineer using these tools in your knitting, do it because there are no rules and you will probably come up with something cool that had never have occurred to either of us and then you can tell us and then we will know too and then we will tell everyone else and we'll all be better knitters for it. What's on your needles, Jessica? Hmm. I have put all of my projects aside. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I'm never going to finish anything ever in my life. I picked up one of my projects from last year. So I'm currently knitting the Rift, which is a Jackie Seaslack pattern. And it's kind of like a cropped t-shirty thing. And I started knitting it last year during the Shelly Can Naked Knit Along, so it's like very close to my skin color kind of knitting, and I'm going to finish it, maybe. I'm not. I'm probably going to knit on it for a week and get bored and pick up something <laughs> else. But I'm working on it, and it's coming along. I'm actually doing the V-neck option for the front and making some changes to it. So I've started working on one side of the V-neck front panel. And I was getting kind of tired when I was knitting it the other night. So I hope that I made good notes to myself because I definitely went off script. And maybe I will have a symmetrical V-neck and maybe I won't. <laughs> chaos, chaos, chaos. <laughs> What's on your needles, Karen? I am still working on the Sunshine on My Shoulders by Lissy Jane. And I'm knitting it in the Dapple from Brooklyn Tweed, which I'm really enjoying working with. I'm having kind of an interesting experience with this. Oh. I think I've mentioned before, Jessica and I both are primarily English-style knitters, but I knit a whole sweater continental. I have knit continental off and on. And I just decided I was going to try knitting this continental. But because it's in Tarja, there's a lot of purling in it. And what I discovered is that, in fact, I do not knit continental. Because oh. I watched at least 100 YouTube tutorials on purling continental because I just couldn't get it and I kept twisting my stitches and it just wasn't right. I don't knit continental. I knit Norwegian. Who knew? I had never really thought about this. But the main difference is that if you're knitting with your right hand dominant like I am, your left index finger, the finger that's holding the yarn, if it's continental, it's sort of lifted away from the needle. If it's Norwegian, it's like down. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny because I couldn't figure out, like, I've seen other people knit continental and I've seen the way they tension their yarn. And I was like, huh, like, I have very tiny handwriting. Maybe this is just like. <laughs> it's related. Yeah, I just have a death grip. So I'm now a huge fan of the Norwegian Pearl. But I think an intarsia project was kind of an interesting project to try this with. And my intarsia joins are definitely a little bit unpracticed looking, like you can see. So I think I'm going to have to do some seaming just to like clean that up. It's been really fun. So I will keep you posted on how that's going. That's so interesting and kind of exciting. Yeah. I've been playing with how I'm holding my yarn on some other projects too. And it's different. It's a new learning experience in a different way than like learning a new stitch is. Right? Yes. It's not like, I figured out how to knit brioche. It's retraining your body. So how interesting. If you are interested in exploring specifically the Norwegian pearl technique, I know Arnie and Carlos have a really good tutorial that I found. If you don't have anybody local to you that you can go to for help with that, 
that is on YouTube and they're pretty funny. So that was fun. Awesome. <laughs> it's been a minute. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Oh, no. <laughs> I have a letter for you. Ah! <laughs> it, it's been like more than a minute. Woo, let's see if I'm ready. Here we go. This week's letter comes from Katia, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name. I am mostly a gift knitter, so that makes me a pretty consistent and avid swatcher because when I'm done with the project, the swatch is all I have left of my handwork. I started keeping my swatches in a photo album a while ago, along with pictures of the finished project and the recipient wearing it. But honestly, it's not a very good system. The thin plastic envelopes tear easily from the thickness of the swatch, and the whole book quickly becomes too bulky to keep neatly on a shelf. Do you have any better ideas for swatch collections? I also have a Ravelry diary of pictures, but there's something about having the actual fabric with the pictures that helps me remember my projects better. I don't know of any makers that have anything like that, but maybe you have a better DIY idea than I did. This is such an interesting question. So, I have to say, I don't have any personal experience with this because, A, I'm a terrible gift knitter. <laughs> <laughs> I always think I'm going to knit gifts for everyone, and I just don't. I really just knit for me. I'm also, everyone put your fingers in your ears right now. I'm kind, I'm kind of, of a, a bad, bad swatcher. <laughs> Even though I tell you all to do it all the time, like I said earlier, very chaos, very sometimes swatching. So this is intriguing to me and also just kind of delightful. What a nice way to remember your projects and think about the people who you're being intentionally lovely to by handmaking them things. I'm in awe of you. So kudos to you. What's a good system is a good question. My first thought is actually not an album style holder, but the first thing that came to mind for me was those like nice are they acid-treated boxes? Like when you have photo albums that have like acid something paper so it doesn't damage the photos over time. Oh, the acid-free paper, like the archival. Yeah. Yes. Acid-free, not acid-treated. So there you go. <laughs> Don't get acid-treated paper, anything for your yarn. But those nice photo boxes that people keep photos but also like keepsake kind of things in there. My instinct would be to attach a photo to my swatch and kind of keep it in there like a file system because I'm a grab things kind of person. So for me, part of going back to look at that would be like touching the swatch and like having that kind of tactile interaction with it. And I'm not a scientist, but <laughs> I'm assuming that if it's a safe material for the photographs that'll be going into it, it likewise may be safe for your swatches. And also you might want to stick a piece of cedar in there just to keep moths from finding it. But I know that Karen and I have very different organizational brains and organizational lives. <laughs> so I'm curious about what her thoughts might be about this too, because I'm definitely more like piles and boxes and things. So when you say that, my first thought was that you could get some kind of adhesive 
mm-hmm. that would go on the corner of the picture and punch a hole in it, you're creating a tab that's sticking out of the corner and then use a gourd pen to oh. pin your swatch and your picture together. That's so nice. <laughs> and knitterly of you. <laughs> if you wanted to keep these in an album, upgrading the sleeves from the photo album style plastic to something that's a little bit closer to a pencil case like you would have had in your three ring binder in school. Ah. I think there are three ring punched like zipper bags that mm-hmm. exist for this kind of purpose. So that would be another option too. You would probably want a pretty hefty binder or many binders. You could do one per person or you could do Ooh. one per year. You know, it, it kind of depends. I like thinking about this. That's so sweet. I love that you include a picture of the recipient like with the final project. Also, if anyone who's listening knows of a maker who makes something like this that would serve this purpose specifically for fiber people, let us know because that sounds amazing. And if it doesn't exist and you are a maker who makes adjacent things, perhaps this is something to add to your lineup. Yes. And tell us then. (laughs) We want all your good ideas. If I were designing this. Okay. Actually like a fabric, like those three ring punch things, Mm -hmm. but like a fabric pouch with a little plastic inset in it so that you could see what was inside or something that you could write on to indicate what was inside. If you're like, I would prefer not to be including plastic in this, you know. You know who might have a solution to this? Scrapbookers. Oh, This is not a craft I've personally participated in, so I'm not real familiar, but I feel like what I know of scrapbookers is that there is a variety of things, like not everything is just flat pieces of paper, but things go into scrapbooking. Yes. Some amount of three-dimensional something is happening on those pages, and I wonder if that community of makers has something that already exists, like you do a keepsake album of somebody's something, and you need depth on pages or like sleeves or something to keep the things that you want to put in that scrapbook. I feel like if you are a multi-craft person and you knit, so you're here listening to this, but you also scrapbook and you're like, why don't they know about this? Tell us because it might be the answer. Yes. We promised knit-along information. Do we have knit-along information? We have a little bit. Sebastian may have been lil, but his impact on this town was anything but lull. Just a a tiny bit, a sneak peek of our next knit-along. So we have decided that our summer knit-along this year is going to be knitting cables. So cable knitting can mean whatever it needs to mean for you. There is a wide variety of things that you could choose. You could knit a fully cabled top-to-bottom wildly complex cardigan or pullover. You could do cabled socks, you could do cabled mitts, you could do, if you're not an experienced cabler, you could find a hat with like a cable panel on it, you could do a cabled swatch, you could do a a scarf. You're going to flex your cable muscles and you're going to tell us about it. And we have decided that in May you're going to relax and get outside and stretch your legs if it's turning into spring slash summer for you. Or fall slash winter for you if you're in a different hemisphere. (laughs) Like, we know you all are all over the place. We're trying to honor that with this knit along. You can knit for whatever season you're going into. Enjoy the weather. And then June 1st, June 1st, get your needles out. 
That's right. Cast on will be June 1st. So we have a little bit of time all to choose our projects and it's going to be super fun. So stay tuned for more details, but get ready. Go find your cable needle. (laughs) Make your choice. Unless you're a non-cable needle user. Yeah. Then get your fingers ready. Start doing hand stretches. You've got work to do. (laughs) I think that might be it for us this week. It sure is. You can listen to Make Good anywhere you find podcasts. You can subscribe to us there. You could rate and review us. It helps other knitters find us. You can follow us on Instagram at MakeGoodPod. That's where we do all of our visual stuff because we are not a YouTubes. We are an audio podcast. (laughs) A huge thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. You help us do this every week without ever taking on advertisers. It's the best. Nobody likes crummy commercials. You can go to our website makegoodpod.com and you can check out the show notes and the transcript there and you can send us questions to dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com we love hearing from you it's awesome talk to you next week bye bye